Hello, everybody. Welcome to another podcast on Trek No Babble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And we are doing a somewhat unusual um, podcast, the premiere of an animated Star Trek show on CBS All Access, of course. Uh, apparently, I've been reading that it's not being distributed internationally because no one has wanted to pay for it, uh, which is ironic because this would be probably the Star Trek property that would be most popular um, being distributed internationally in Europe or whatever. Uh, it's an animated show. It's by a guy named Mike McMahon. Uh, now, Kevin, is he a Rick and Morty person? Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. My, one, one of my major comments on the show is Rick and Morty's fingerprints are all over it like okay. the sense of humor, the animation style, he clearly cut his teeth um, on Rick and Morty. So I haven't watched Rick and Morty, so I'm kind of coming in uh, completely blind. I'm going to say you should watch Rick and Morty. I think you would enjoy it. Okay. Um, so it takes place, what do they say? They call it Stardate. They five, use Stardate. seven something. So yeah. five, seven, four, three, six point two. So what is that? A f two, three years after the end of Voyager? The year 2380. Um, no, there's no timeline on this thing. 2380s. Well, because Voyager, I think, ended Stardate five, three something. So this would be a few years. So this would be deep in the heart of the later next-gen movies, something like maybe Nemesis-ish? Uh, okay, so this is saying 2380, post-endgame portions of the Star Trek Elite Force 2 video game. Uh, also a good video game. I'll throw that one out there. One both, of the better ones. Both Elite Force games were quite good. Uh... The false future scene in Future Imperfect was set in the year 2383. Um, right, well, let's, let's not, I mean, we, we, yeah. are, we are a few years past TV Star Trek, somewhere mushily in the movies, but we're certainly not up to Picard. Yeah, which is a good thing. Yeah, um, I have to say my, my general take on the show was it has some tone problems and some pacing problems. But overall, and I'm as surprised as anyone to say this, I kind of actually almost really enjoyed it. Um, I think there was, um, like when I say, so the tone problems for me are twofold. It has a tone problem with the franchise. It is a tonal shift for the franchise as a whole. Like, you know, when, when, you're open, when your teaser has a man's thigh being sliced visibly down to the bone. By a batless, yeah. By, that's a, that's a, that is a tonal shift. Not even the Klingons on Star Trek to date have gotten that graphic, except for, you know. And it's supposed to be funny. This is, a, this a, is a comedy yeah. beat. Uh, so, and I'll say this, that is a very Rick and Morty joke. Accidental dismemberment, very Rick and Morty humor. Okay. Um, the, my other problem, my, and that's, and I'll say this, that is actually less of a problem for me. And I, I, I've said this as far back as the 2009 Abrams Star Trek. I do not mind a new creator charting a new course in terms of tone or content that is specific to the thing they are creating. I have the capacity to allow for other creators to create. Uh, plenty of people criticize Deep Space Nine for being a radical tonal shift of the show. And to some extent, they're not wrong. It is a radical tonal shift, what I think is largely narratively successful. Um, my, my, only, my real issue with the tone of the show is that I think inside the four walls of the show, it hasn't quite settled on a tone. Like it, it tends to veer back and forth a little between starry-eyed Starfleet officers and some gross-out humor. And I think that's the, like, more than trying to make this work with the rest of Star Trek per se, I think they need to make it work inside the four walls of the show. Well, so here's the thing for me. Um, I agree that DS9 was a tonal shift. However, I think it was a tonal shift within the established parameters of the universe. 
I think people who criticize it as being not Star Trek are just full of crap. You know, like they, they set out rules. They say why things are different in this place, in this particular region of space for this culture. Um, I mean, they're following up on a TNG story in the first place. Uh, and, you know, yes, they explore darker aspects, you know, like people doing things that are a little, you know, below the table or not quite above board or whatever. And, you know, yes. However, that's done in contrast with established Starfleet Federation mores, which are still represented in the show. Okay. So with that said, in some ways, I found this pilot episode to be the most Star Trek of anything that's been produced by the Abrams-Kurtzman regime. Oh, yeah. You know? the, whatever else you want to say about the tone of the show, its four main characters are orthodox Starfleet officers. However, uh, even I, ha I have a serious problem with the way that the command crew, the senior staff on this ship is portrayed because the, the basic tension, if you will, like in Voyager, the tension for four or five episodes was between the Maquis and Starfleet, right? You know, and in, in DS9, the tension was between Federation values and Bajoran values and whether they could ever, you know, meaningfully uh, coexist with each other. Um, in this, the tension is between lower decks and upper decks, okay? And the way that the captain and the doctor and the first officer and whoever the big dude with the like Thor beard was, the way they're portrayed is as being, uh, you know, grossly out of touch with the lives and experiences of the people in the lower decks taking advantage of them, lying about them, taking credit for their work, uh, manipulating them in ways that are not for their benefit. It, it, it really dragged me out of the show because I've seen Lower Decks, the TNG episode, and that same tension is there. But the tension is not between a group of people who manifestly does not care about the Lower Decks and the lower decks who idolizes them. Now, in TNG's lower decks, yes, the lower deck crew idolizes the bridge crew, as they should, because the bridge crew are nice people who have their best interests at heart and who are in their jobs because they are ultra competent, because they have the experience and the training that the lower decks people don't have yet. In this show, it seemed the title sequence bugged me. Because, and I, I get the jokes, I'm not saying I don't get the jokes, but the jokes were things like the Cerritos is like a ship of cowards because they run away from battles and they're being piloted by an ignoramus because they ram into things. And it's, it's just like, I love the idea of the tension between lower decks and upper decks. What I don't love is trying to score points off the upper decks people by making them seem like not Starfleet officers. You know, look, we have 28 seasons of real Star Trek to compare this to 30, if you want to count the animated series. And there have been officers, individual officers here and there who are manipulative, who are jerks, who treat people poorly you know, who don't live up to Starfleet values, but not a whole ship, you know, even Rudy Ransom was yeah. better to I, his subordinates. I'm going to say, this I, I, understand, I understand your problem and I don't deny it exists. I just think it's less fatal at this point. I think it's a temperature thing as opposed to a structural thing. Like, you know, on some level, Boimler's solution himself was stumbled into. He lucked into being covered in the deus ex machina goo which even in itself is a gentle ribbing of a Star Trek solution. You know, we, we found the solution, Captain. It's this goo. Um, yeah. I think, I, I think the better way to resolve that storyline was to have the captain say, great work, Ensign. Your life will not change in any noticeable way for at least the next two calendar years. Next. Like, there, there's a way to have the captain acknowledge his contribution without it 
actually improving his lot at this point because that would actually make sense. Like, yes, you st- you stumbled into this week's solution, as will many other ensigns over many other weeks of many other solutions. I I I think it is just a dials thing, and I'm, you know, we we've watched a lot of crappy first seasons in this franchise, both inside and outside the Abrams verse. Um, I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just less, I'm let, if it goes on at that temperature, I will eventually agree with you. I don't think it's fatal or irredeemable at this point. Like Patrick Stewart's Captain Picard in the first season is just grouchier than he is in the later seasons. They eventually sure. find a way to make the stern captain not weirdly a jerk about kids. They, they do, like, I'm, I'm happy to give these people a little bit of room. I will say, I am more optimistic about this show finding itself than almost any other, sh- than certainly, I think, anything else in the post-2009 Star Trek. And may, maybe, it, maybe it's helpful to list the things I did like before we tag the things we didn't. I think the main characters, clearly and organically, orthodox Starfleet officers. All four of the leads uh, are. Per- I, I think that I y- y- you you want to criticize. Um, okay, I haven't learned the characters' Mariner. names yet. Um, but I get she, Mariner. She, yeah, Mariner is not like I, th- I. I'll say this: I actually found the reveal that her parents were high-ranking Starfleet officers actually solves the problem of why she's still in Starfleet because the character on her own. It's like, well, why are you still here? You could just go be Cassidy Yates running your own starship somewhere that isn't a Federation starship, but hey, you would get to set the rules. So having parents whose expectations she wants to live up to or who she can't possibly acknowledge were right, that Starfleet isn't the career for her, like that layering actually makes sense for the character. I interpret Mariner as basically a rowdy Barclay. We've seen Starfleet officers who are temperamentally ill-suited to either the regimental or, um, like, like who are unsuited to the demands of a life in Starfleet for various reasons. Barkley, because he is too timid. Mariner, because she is too independent. So I am fine with there being a kind of uh, plus-minus around the canonical Starfleet officer. So her, she doesn't even bother me. And I think the show did a good job of portraying her Starfleet bona fides. She's a Federation citizen to the core. She, she saw people in help and would help them even if it broke the rules. That's literally every episode of Star Trek. I agree with you. However, I don't understand what rule she was breaking. Which rule prohibits giving shovels to people who you're asking to join the Federation. I, it, I think it, you're being. I think you're more being, development. I think you're being too technical for a show for for a, for a narrative that lasts 23 minutes. They did, a, I think, a fairly decent job of sketching itself. Given the number of officious Federation bureaucrats we've seen over the years, who in varying degrees were willing to let people die in the name of Federation bureaucracy, I don't think that's out of character at all. Well, then tell us the rule. Tell us that. They would have to wait six months, and I'm not going to make them wait six months. What you know, I I agree. The jump was time. The jump was small enough for me to make fairly reflexively. Going back to the plus column, I think the show did an amazing job in its pilot of establishing its capacity to take advantage of the medium. That little spacewalk over the hull was both one beautifully rendered. That was like a lovely. Sh- that was just a lovely shot. It was like a. Lo- it was just a beautifully animated scene and it's also one of those times of like well that makes sense we it is too dangerous to cross this ship inside so we will cross it on the outside it's something that would be impractical to do on a standard on a a live action show and i i very much appreciate the show understanding and taking advantage of what it it is as expensive to animate the outside of the Cerritos as the inside. So there's no reason not to do that kind of stuff. And I'm looking for, I am looking forward to that more than anything else. It, this is, this is the opportunity for Star Trek to show non-humanoid aliens because they don't need to, you know, they are not being staffed by actors who must be able to breathe while they act. 
Well, so what you're getting at, I agree with. However, it leads me to the basic question of what is the show trying to do? Is it trying to be more Star Trek or is it trying to poke fun at Star Trek uh, conventions, you know, Star Trek tropes? I think it either can, of which is interesting. I just don't know if you can do both. At the I, same I think you can do both. And here's the thing. I think, I think you can do both. And I think it largely could work because I think no one is really processing this as primary canon, if that makes sense. Like, I think the tone of the show is a kind of flag in itself that we are to interpret this in its own space. And I'm not, and I don't have a problem with that. Um, I, I don't even have a problem with reboots and alt histories. I only have problems with reboots telling me it's secretly not a reboot and I'm just too dumb to realize it. That's the only time I get mad. Like telling me your retcon is not a retcon because I'm too uptight to acknowledge it is the only thing that infuriates me. I think the tone of the show from Jump kind of clearly says this exists much like the animation itself this exists slightly outside this is a there is a slight phase variance to the narrative of this show that allows you to watch the show for itself do i think the yeah if nothing else that dialogue was coming at you at 1.75 speed they need to they need to slow it down just a smidge and they need to pick a consistent tone. Like, like if nothing else, you showed me, again, a thigh being sliced to the bone and then muted the word dick. And you got to pick. You, 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 are, you are either showing me TVMA or TV14, and you just got to pick one inside the four walls of your show. Even I am perfectly fine with a TVMA version of Star Trek. I, I, the universe is big enough to allow that. All I want is for you to have made that decision thoughtfully and in a way that is justified by the story you're telling. So it's like, so are you showing me a naked Boimler? And if you're showing me a naked Boimler, show me a naked Boimler. Do it. Have the balls to do it. Um, I, I just want them to, and again, I'm not, I'm more optimistic about this pilot than pretty much anything in the last 12 years. Um, like, I hate to say it, and maybe it's because I'm apparently a cheap date when it comes to Star Trek, but, like, when the Orion science officer looks at the rear, rear view window and sees the engines and they do the music cue, and I'm like, well, fuck if I'm not feeling things. Like, I, I, I can't, as whatever problems I have in terms of tone and pacing and consistency, I can't deny that I feel the force ghost of actual Star Trek here in a way that I haven't in some time. Yeah, I basically identified and could root for the characters. Um, I wasn't happy that I was rooting for them in opposition to their commanding officers. Um, and I agree that the scene in which the Orion, uh, let's see, her name is Devana Tendi. Um, in which she has sort of her Mary Sue moment for us and she's dazzled by things as we would be. You know, I like the holodeck stuff. Um, I have to say, although I enjoyed Eugene Cordero's performance as Sam Rutherford, uh, I was somewhat off put by his being a cyborg and having uh, his date say that her dad was a cyborg too. This, look, I know that Discovery has tried to, you know, shoehorn the idea of cyborgs into canon, but I'm not there. I'm not okay with it. I'm not, it's like, if everybody was a fucking cyborg, then the Borg wouldn't have been so threatening and alien and unusual to Starfleet personnel. It'd be like, oh yeah, we got one of those. You know, he's in engineering right now. So it, it's like... I mean, I assume there, like, I can see the there's a backstory episode coming. And if there's not, I'd be shocked 
about the genesis of this piece of technology and why he has it. I'm just, I don't and know. Like, plant has like a Vulcan. It, this yeah. show was not crushingly depressing. Yeah. And there yeah. is no indication that the thing they will be facing over the course of the season is a threat to all life in the galaxy. Yeah. No, look, look, it's optimistic, except with this bizarre antipathy between lower decks and upper decks that I, I'm not on board for. I think, and I think there optimistic, is a way, there's, a way to, there's a way to solve that that is a little more organic. And I think what it is is like Boimler hero worships the senior staff. And I think there is a point you could make that that hero worship becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you spent your entire career assuming or feeling like only the senior staff was at the front of the action and the only ones who could save the day, by the time you became senior staff, you would assume only you could save the day. And maybe, maybe the show will kind of make that point. I, but I, I, I just he, think at you're, the end you're, of this very episode, he does not idolize them anymore. And he has had the shade taken from I'm his just saying, eyes. You're writing this problem at like a 9.5. And until more episodes come down the line, I think this problem is a six. Okay. Anyhow, I agree. The tone, despite the weird inconsistencies, is light years better than every other single bad robot Star Trek, quote unquote, Star Trek iteration. I mean, it, it's in a completely different ballpark. I could actually smile and enjoy things. It wasn't what I call miserable people doing horrible things, which is what every other installment of Kurtzman Trek has been. And they turned Picard into one of them, which sucks, you know? Um, and it does look like it's gonna be largely episodic, which yay, I'm totally on board for that too. Like if this had been started with instead of discovery, uh, you know, my whole outlook <laughs> on Kurtzman Trek would be completely and totally different. However, I have three seasons and three movies to tell me that unless what's his name, Mike McMahon can keep everybody completely away from this, they're going to fuck it up somehow because they've fucked up everything so far. Well, and here's, here's the thing though. For me, even if they fuck it up, much like, like for the longest time, by tacit agreement, the animated series, except for Yesteryear and uh, that other one, the one with Robert April and when they all turn into kids. Uh, Counterclock, is that? There's like two episodes of the animated series that we all liked and would grudgingly allow into canon. And the rest of it, we, we just pretended it didn't happen. Precisely because it's animated, and this is not to knock animation, a perfectly valid format that I've enjoyed thoroughly in many different shows. I feel like there's something, there, to borrow the word of our time, this show is kind of quarantined from the rest of canon. I am more willing to forgive its a-canonical behavior because I don't feel like it could fit in canon. I feel like it's trying to have it both ways, but it was enjoyable. Yeah, so. I, I, I was, I, like I said, uh, and, and, and this is just a personal taste thing. There's a certain level of gross out humor that just doesn't do it for me at a point where I'm like, oh, gosh, this is, this is work to watch now. And I am hoping, much like the Orville, they eventually figure out a better balance. And the, the Orville's the obvious comparison. And the Orville actually has an easier time of it because when the Orville breaks the tone of what I would consider to be canonical Star Trek, well, the Orville is not Star Trek. It is not presenting itself as Star Trek. So it gets that leeway. Whereas, and, and I, I appreciate the argument that they are trying to have it both ways. They want a show that gives them the freedom to do Rick and Morty style humor. And again, I love Rick and Morty. It is an amazing show and a profound commentary on the, uh, how we let heroes get away being dickheads. It's very good. Very good. It's not Star Trek, but it, it's, a, it's not like I think the only good thing is Star Trek. Um, and I, I appreciate that it is trying to have it both ways, but I also kind of don't care. Like when, when Tavana walks into the shuttle bay and all of the runabouts are named after national parks instead of rivers, that was cute. 
that was a deep, that's a deep cut reference. I'm like, I, I can't but be charmed by that tiny effortless piece of detail. So a diehard Trekkie had to write that because only a diehard Trekkie would care. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, like the, you know, th- there was sort of a big blizzard of dialogue fan reference stuff and it was fine. You know, it, it, it drags me out a little bit because I just think to myself, why would this person know all of these things and why would all of the things they mention, like they're not doing the trope of naming two things you've never heard of. And one thing you've heard of, like yeah, instead they're of just literally naming characters from the show that everybody likes. I, I, I thought, I thought her, her little speech at the end, I thought was largely just like a, here's our bona fides. Like she referenced Gary Mitchell. That's a deep cut. It's a deep cut. Uh, yeah, second pilot. Uh, anyway. Um, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, if nothing else, it was nice to see a TNG-era starship and something that looked like TNG-era uniforms staffed by largely TNG-era people. And even, even your complaints about the senior crew, which I'm not disputing, they are the worst versions of TNG people. They're not not TNG people. Well, so look. When I imagine the rest of the Star Trek universe while I'm watching TNG, you know, some, we see him occasionally. We see like Captain Donald Varley on the Yamato. You know, we see, you know, Captain Benjamin Maxwell. And it, some of them are good, some of them are bad. But I never imagine a whole ship of fuck ups. Like the, the universe that is described by the 28 seasons and 10 good movies, you know, uh, doesn't involve that. It, it does not have room for a whole ship of people who screw around and mess things up, you know? Uh, so setting that aside, as far as this episode's story is concerned, I think you will agree with me that it was overstuffed, um, that trying to do the zombie thing plus the... I guess like ethical debate about shovels thing was like neither one was fully baked because it was just like, so, you know. Right. And I suppose that leads into a conversation of how baked do they need to be? And And that's why I'm asking, what is this show trying to do? Both of those things are completely, you know, cromulent A and B plots in a Star Trek show, a real Star Trek show. And they're both here, but why are they both here? You know? I, I don't know. I maybe maybe quarantine has just rendered me more willing to like things because I need to find joy somewhere. But I don't know. Like all of the sins of this episode seem to be trying to do too much and making its thesis statements too hard. So yeah. I, I, like, hey, if nothing else, the, the, the promo for the rest of the season indicates they have a great joke about Klingon apostrophes ready to go, and that's going to make you very happy. Sure. Um, I just... And I, I saw the uh, aliens from Farpoint. The, yeah, the j- so I... Jellyfish. If the show... like, And here's the thing. Much like Orville, it, once it calms down a little, and, and, and maybe that's the, way that, the best way to kind of categorize these problems. This, this episode was very intense. Everyone was talking very quickly. <laughs> I th- I'm hoping that as they do more shows and they learn to trust the audience to go with them, this will level out to be, I think, like, e- even as much as I defended the potential of Discovery or Picard, I was kind of defending them on their ability to get to okay. I honestly think that with comparatively minor tweaks, I think this show could be really good. Like, I think this is probably one of the tighter pilots, certainly of the Abrams era, but maybe of the franchise as a whole. Like, I, I have a clarity of character and tone, oh, even no. with its tonal problems. Like, I think this has a smaller step to make to get to good than even the shows we really liked from their pilots. I think all three 
of the big three had better pilots than this. Uh, Farpoint, Emissary, and Caretaker, all three. I mean, they're longer, of course. So they, you know, they're they're both they're all ninety minutes instead of you know twenty six minutes or whatever it is. So I grant you that this has less time to establish character, to establish universe rules, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, I described this to my wife as somewhere in between the Orville and all the rest of the bottomless chum bucket of Kurtzman Trek. It's not quite as good as the Orville. And the Orville has the same advantage. It has two advantages. One is that it's longer. And two is that it's not saying that it's Star Trek. And so it, it, it doesn't constantly pull your analytical brain into the situation and make it interrupt the story brain. Okay. So it, the way I asked, so I, I've asked myself this question of, if it weren't Star Trek at all, would I like it? And I'd probably like it at a, yeah, sure. Maybe when the season's done, I'll binge it. When I got nothing else to watch, when I'm done with Great British Bake Off. With the Star Trek, there is enough, like, again, I, I might be overselling, a, 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 you know, the runabout Joshua Tree. I don't know why, but again, maybe it's because all of my emotional safeguards have been damaged by 2020, but that little touch fucking got me. I'm like, someone cares. That's a, that's a thing you do when you care. Um, I don't know. I'll say it this way. This feels, this feels like Star Trek, even though I have a laundry list of tonal critiques on the ways it is not Star Trek. The, the fun, the finished product felt like Star Trek, is it someone's specific take on Star Trek? Sure. But I'm willing to allow for that because unlike the other modern offerings, it doesn't feel like, like, I don't feel like I'm told I'm being dumb for liking Next Gen DS9 and Voyager in this show. And that's kind of my, the summary of my complaint for the Abram, for the other Abrams projects. All of the things the Abrams projects do seem to say all of the things you liked about earlier Star Trek were dumb and boring. I don't feel that way about this. I agree. The main characters and the main stories all hit the same beats that made me very happy as a child. Um, so it, as it far has, as... It just, I, I think this has growing pains to work out like any show, but the... And maybe I'm, t maybe I'm again, just for, sort of forcing myself to be optimistic, but I feel my optimism is the most justified here. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, I, what I disagree with is the notion that this show could course correct in the same way that a live action show could. Um, this show is all in the can. It's done. You know, I, I get animation to me seems like something that what you see in the first episode is what you get in each succeeding oh. episode. Oh, hard, hard disagree. Uh, plenty of, sh uh, like Steven Universe, an also an amazing show everyone should watch, really managed to like fine tune itself um, after its first season. No, but you're, that's after a whole season. What I'm saying is I think maybe there will be room for adjustment between seasons, but I like, it's all done. It's like they're not getting feedback. This isn't like a, a 30 week work year where you get four or five episodes in the can and then, you know, you have finished products to look at and get feedback. Yeah, this but is, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't happen in a live action show now anyway, because by the time you hit streaming, you're done. You do 13 yeah. episodes in one big go. Oh, that's obvious. I mean, yes, <laughs> that's totally obvious because, you know, you look at, the first episode of the season and the last episode of a season of any of these shit fests that Kurtzman is producing. And well, I'm, I'm just saying, I think that's true for TV generally. Like yeah, maybe so are produced as bricks of entertainment. Now. I think back in the day, something like TNG, you look at latter season one TNG versus early season one TNG, and there's an uptick in quality that, you know, they hire and fire 
different executive producers mid-season, right? You know, like the, the Maurice Hurley era versus the, you know, Rick Berman taking a firmer hand era. It, like those things seem to happen more. So uh, we're quibbling here. Uh, you know, I, I'm not optimistic that episode 12 of season one is going to be materially or tonally different than episode one. I'll, I'll say this, but that's though. fine because it's it's okayish, you know. Like it's it's amusing. I enjoy it. Your question about whether I would like it if it weren't Star Trek, I would like this if it wasn't Star Trek. In fact, I would like it more if it wasn't Star Trek. I think the Star Trek label is a drag because it makes me question their choices. Whereas I would find the choices amusing if it were the Orville or something else. I don't know. I think the Star Trek canon gives them a well of stories to return to or flesh out. And I am, I am, I will say I'm, I am looking forward to next week's episode. And I, yeah, I, I'm taking my happiness where I can find it. The show did, the show never made me mad. It only made me go, did did you do we like it made me it made me pointedly question in a high pitched tone of voice, but it never made me angry. It never I made agree, me regret watching it. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, so as far as overall ratings go, you know, I'm it's done. It's a three. It's a. It's I'm a done giving three. pilots a four because I want to be optimistic. That's that's never going to happen again for Alex Kurtzman. This is a three. Yeah, I agree. like, and that, I don't know, man, I, when I look back at my ratings for the pilots or the first episodes of all three seasons of Kurtzman Trek, I think to myself, you fucking idiot, you big fucking dummy, how could you let them fool you like that, you know, and especially the second and third time, you know, what the fuck's wrong with you, you rube. Nah, the 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 pilot going to be garbage from the beginning. The pilot of Picard was objectively good. The fact that it didn't pay any of it off is not the pilot's problem. The pilot was legitimately a four. Mm, I think the seeds of its own destruction were very evident. You know, the face kicking and the race of data slaves with no complete mention at all of measure of a man, you know, like the, the rando daughter that we've never heard of. Like it was obvious it was going to be garbage from the beginning. And I should not have let my happiness at seeing Patrick Stewart be Picard again, you know, dissuade me from that clear eyed. Every evaluation. time we have a podcast, I want to be like way you into Ducat. Have you ever been diagnosed as anhedonic? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not anhedonic. You know that I take a great measure of joy and pleasure in Star Trek, in music, in the Orville, you know, something that doesn't have to be Star Trek, you know, in all sorts of things, you know. I don't know, I just... Uh, like you said, the fact that they're calling it Star Trek and ex expecting me to accept it as Star Trek while simultaneously being unwilling to do anything like Star Trek pisses me off. This, Lower Decks, is much more like Star Trek. It's got issues. I don't think the issues are going to get better. However, it's enough like Star Trek that I could just enjoy it at a solid. Like, yeah, like, like I, through. I really think having like the fact that the core character quad, and I didn't mean to alliterate there. I apologize. Um, it are such canonical Starfleet officers, or at least they believe canonical Starfleet things their view of the universe is that our obligation is to help people and to learn things that yes. is clearly on display for all four characters. Um, that makes me very happy. And I don't know, like I'm, I can reasonably see the show calling the senior staff on a, on its jadedness or its lack of awareness or I think I think there's a lot of room for a lot of fun stories that lovingly poke fun at the parts of Star Trek that I love and the parts of Star Trek that are silly I think I don't know like there was enough here I, and again I'm I keep coming she walks into the shuttle bay and every single craft in that room is named after a national park it's it's a 
that is a cut that I think even most, a lot of Trekkies might not clock immediately, but it's just, it's just, I don't know. It just, that warmed me so deeply <laughs> because they're even referred to in canon as Yosemite class ships. There's something about that detail that made me feel the, the stated fandom of these creators is not cynical. Yeah. Um, and I get the feeling they've actually watched Star Trek, which yeah, I've like, never gotten from like the there's Trek. like and and again like like the, uh, her looking out of the window at the engines or them walking across the hull to get from one side of the ship to the other like it had enough of these grander moments that made you go oh, like I I and maybe maybe I'm just maybe I just fall in love too easily but I don't know there was just there was so much here that made me feel actual Star Trek is being made. And, and again, I, I said this earlier and I want to reiterate it. I am actually fine if someone said, I want to make a TVMA version of Star Trek. I wanted to have the core of this narrative, but expressed in this format. And the animation actually allows it to be kind of hermetically sealed. Like you don't, need to reconcile this episode with next gen ds9 voyager because the format kind of gives you permission to treat it as another but there were enough beats throughout that the characters i'm supposed to care about are people i could find myself genuinely care about caring about care abouting this is what happens when i drink while i podcast caring about um, just, I don't know, like, maybe the show knows how to, how to manipulate me, but maybe the show could actually be good. <laughs> so, Kevin, I like what you said about believing that the main four characters are essentially Star Trek characters, that they're essentially, you know, citizens of the Federation who have reasonably been uh, indoctrinated and um, trained and promoted by Starfleet. I agree with you. Even for what's her face, uh, Mariner, no. you know, she's like the Bellana Torres type. You know, it's like clearly she's got you know deep levels of knowledge about stuff, and she's got a strong will. Okay, fine, whatever. What I'm not convinced of is that any of the four main senior staff characters are the same. You know, like the Star Trek story in which the brash upstart chafes against bureaucratic strictures to help species X involves the captain or someone else in the senior staff explaining. You know, it's like Picard isn't a jerk when he wants to let uh, the pen pals race die. You know, they have a legitimate argument about it in his quarters with senior and, you know, relatively junior staff expressing their opinions about it. And Picard isn't saying, I don't like these people, fuck these idiots, you know, they should take care of themselves. You know, no, he's saying, look, I get it. I understand why you feel this way. But the prime directive is not just to protect them, it's to protect us. It's protect us from entanglement. It's protect us from, you know, and that demonstrates that Picard and possibly other members of the senior staff have the experience to leaven the sort of spit take, you know, of what seems like weird ideas, you know, whereas in this show, Mariner is obviously right. You should give shovels to people who need them because it means nothing to you. And it will only, it's not like they're going to use the shovels to beat each other to death. They're, they're going to use it to milk spiders or something. Fine. You know, the other side of the argument is never portrayed. And the, the senior staff just seem like selfish dickwads. And that's, that's not consistent with the other 28 seasons of Star Trek. I don't Trek. know. Every visiting captain on Star Trek, like, I, I think if we did a list of 
guest captains in Star Trek, TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, the dick ratio, not zero. Um, I, I, and, and here's the thing. If they want to land this as the Enterprise is special, I'm, I, would ac- I would accept that argument too. I, 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 I agree they turn the dials up too high on making every single senior officer an opaque idiot. Totally agree. So I think the doctor was just ruthlessly practical. She didn't seem like a jerk. She was just, you know, goal-oriented. In it's a- hard to judge because they were in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, or yeah. So, and again, the, it, it, it was the first episode. They had a lot of ground to cover. And I'll say, even despite the narrative crowding, I have a fairly sharp view. I have a fairly sharp understanding of the four main characters, which is kind of surprising because I've walked out of other pilots without similarly deep understandings of the characters. I don't know. I, I do other, this. Other Kurtzman pilots. I do this. You can't say that of TNG DS9 Voyager. Those pilots very, very, very clearly and rigorously and exhaustively <laughs> set out the origins, the conflicts, and the eventual arcs of all the I don't know. And maybe I'm just being a cockeyed optimist, but I don't know. Like, the show landed at a place that I enjoyed myself for 19 of the 21 minutes. There were, like, two scenes that really made me go, ugh, ugh. Um, other than that, I'm like, you know what? I'll say this. If I get, what, six, eight, how many episodes of this season? Um, hold on. Hold on. I thought it was a larger order than that. Uh, 10 episodes. So, okay. If I get nine more episodes of exactly the same quality and consistency as this episode, I'm going to walk out the happiest I've been with Star Trek since Voyager. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, it'll be a step up. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's this, not saying much, but it will have been better, a step up. This is advertising itself as better than Enterprise. There, I said it. Mm, it, It's it's doing different things, you know? The question is whether it's better than the Orville because they're basically doing an animated Orville. It's like like Star Trek, but it pokes fun at conventions and it's full of... poop jokes, yeah. yeah. Which is fine. I like the Orville and I want to watch more of it and I'm desperate for it to come back. And I think it's really shitty that it's not coming back before the election, but whatever. Um, well, I'll know, say, I'll I say this. The moment where that really drove home, oh, this is the Orville, was Mariner's uh, nude Olympian holodeck program, which made me laugh very hard. That hey, that's, that's wonderful. I am glad that the holodeck is being used for pornography because that is what it should be used for. That's obviously what human beings would use it for. You know, um, not that they wouldn't play their, you know, Lord Burley hollow novels or whatever, but you know, there would be nudity and <laughs> pornography because that's just humans. I'm glad they went there. You know, um, the Orville had a holodeck episode in which the character had sex with for pornography. Yeah, I don't just um, I don't know. In the final analysis, and we should probably get there soon. There was a buoyancy to this episode, even in it, even when it got like its zombie attack still managed to feel not crushing. They like, set their phasers on stun. That was the real telling thing. It's like, oh, this isn't the Kurtzman murder verse anymore. <laughs> Instead, they actually give a shit about human life and they're not going to just summarily execute all of their friends, you know, like which even, they would have done on Discovery and they would have done on Picard. Even, even the joke about like he'd, he didn't like the, the new girlfriend, the, the potential girlfriend, because he, she was not as enthused about Level two yeah. and then when the other character is i'm like oh well you're clearly setting them up to get together but damn it i'm already rooting for them yeah damn you. like i don't know i don't know there was a happiness to like i'll say it this way i got the impression everyone working on this show in front of and behind the camera 
was having a good time. Yes, there is a happiness to it, which has not been able to be said about Star Trek since 2005. Um, I'm, I'm cautiously weird. I'm not looking forward to getting to Enterprise, but I am. I want to get to Enterprise because my recollection of it was that it was kind of leaden throughout, excepting a few handful of very... Enterprise is a straight-up generic Star Trek show. It is real Star Trek. It's just not particularly good Star Trek, but it, it is not grossly offensive as Star Trek. It is not non I mean, I think the premise is dumb. I don't think you should have tried to go and do a prequel, but the, we'll get there when we get there. But having watched all four seasons more than once, it's Star Trek. To its core, I'll I'll say I'll say this: they they did what I asked them to do, set a show after Voyager. <laughs> Finally, yeah, yeah. I would love a straight Star Trek series that was animated. I would love it because, for whatever reason, modern creators seem unwilling to create something that looks like. TNG, or even Voyager, for crying out loud. It's like they're unwilling to have lights on their sets that are illuminating characters, you know? Whereas an animated show, it would look like crap if you tried to make it dark and grim and gritty, like all these fucking Kurtzman shows. So just by the pure dint of being animation, it's closer to feeling like Star Trek than any of the shit they've done since 2009. Um, yeah, I would love, and you, we've had this conversation before. You know, I have long advocated that the thing to do was to do an animated series that followed up on plot threads in the previous shows. Like, if you're not going to come up with a new idea, which I understand, it's hard, you know, it's hard to know where to go. Like they explored the light side, they explored the dark side, and they explored the delta quadrants. Like, where do you go from here? I don't know, right? If you're unwilling to do that, then just give us more of what we like. And yes, the actors are old and fat now. So do an animated show where you can have guest stars, you know, giving their voiceovers, you know, and you could do things that you could never do on live action TV, like you said. You know, you could show us Tholians, for fuck's sake, Uh, you know, whatever right? And so this is kind of doing that. It just, it's got this orville humor that is dragging me out of it feeling like Star Trek. And I understand what you're saying. I agree with you that it is demarking itself as not quite Star Trek, you know, but I, I want Star Trek, you know, like I would love it if this show just ditched the humor and told the story of the Gallardonians and the zombie bug bite. You know, like, tell me that story and make it a Star Trek story because I like the characters and I like the look of the show. So why not? Like, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, let's just say it's a duck and, you know, watch it. I mean, I'm not even opposed to attempting to incorporate this class of humor. Like I said, I think the show, I think the, I think 50 years of narrative is structurally strong enough to bear a rad- a meaningfully new interpretation. Um, so I'm not opposed to it per se. I, my, my concerns are more in for the inside the four walls of the world they've created, they're flinging back and forth in tone pretty rapidly. If they manage to consistent, like th- that's just a question they need to answer. And I'm hoping that over the course of the season or however many seasons the shows get, that they figure that out because even even if they wanted to say this is star trek through the lens of rick and morty that i can live with that like you you you've you've established your bona fides you said here is my thesis statement here is my show even given that the there's a oscillation in tone inside the four walls of the episode that being said in the 23 minutes they gave me they gave me a lot, and I'm cautiously optimistic about next week. 
I could be back next week and hate it all. That could be crap. It could be crap on a stick, but I don't know. There was so much, there was so much in this 23 minutes that made me think they get it. I, I fully expect that this will maintain a consistent level of quality, which will definitively mark it as shit tons better than Discovery and Picard. It will just make me wonder why they couldn't have done this at the beginning, number one, and why they couldn't have just made Star Trek, number two. You know, like, if this guy, Mike McMahon, understands Star Trek, put him on the other shows, don't do the dumb humor, and just tell Star Trek stories. I'm not even opposed to the dumb humor. I just want it to be consistently and thoughtfully applied inside the four walls of the episode. And it seemed to go back and forth. Okay. I, I, I'm willing to stipulate, like, like I, and I've said this before too, I can provisionally grant the notion that 50 years of canon is a lot. And it's a lot to have to try to come up with new stories that don't feel like retreads or all of those things. And maybe this, maybe this perforated humor poking fun at the conventions is the way to breathe new life into what might be otherwise an ossified set of stories. My biggest complaint about Voyager as we coast into the end of the seventh season is I've started to really painfully clock the two or three TNG episodes and occasionally the two or three Voyager episodes that make up this episode. So I get it. There's a lot of story and that can really kind of feel um, confining rather than invigorating. And using humor to puncture it all might be a valid way to find a new story in these stories. I can completely grant that. In some ways, this is a lot like Galaxy Quest. Um, you know, Galaxy Quest has been called one of the greatest Star Trek movies ever. <laughs> uh, and I agree with that because it, it's obviously a more meta take yeah. on Star Trek, but they poke fun at sci-fi conventions you know they've got the busty you know female uh command presence they've got the the room with the rotating thing that just seems to be put there to kill people you know like that's all funny interesting stuff and so the humor that galaxy quest was going for seems to be pretty similar to the humor that lower decks is going for um and of course the the sort of personal animosity between characters had to do with actors. You know, they were lampooning the idea of Shatner hogging the screen all the time and, you know, other actors feeling pigeonholed and like it, it works like gangbusters. Galaxy Quest is amazing, but it's amazing in part because it's not Star Trek. You know, it's about Star Trek. Is this Star Trek or is it about Star Trek? I yeah, can't quite tell. I'm not saying they don't have work to do and questions to answer. I am, I am the most optimistic I've been in some time to watch them answer the questions. And frankly, even if they don't, it's not like I'm leaving my house. So yeah, <laughs> if, if I get nine more episodes of this, I will land at entertained and not enraged. <laughs> it's way better than I thought it would be. Like, yeah, I was expecting... You know how low my expectations were, so... No, I was expecting dumber than I got. I was expecting the characters to be dumber than I got. And the characters aren't dumb, either in their conception or their execution. The characters are pretty good. The humor is uneven, and they need to have a meeting where they ask some difficult questions... I, I understand and agree with the substance of your critique of the senior staff. I just think there's a lot of room to balance it. And on, honestly, there could be an episode later in the season where it turns out the senior staff, enterprise-level officers, this is how Boimler interprets them. Like, I think, I think there's a great episode where it's like, because this story is told from your perspective, you interpret the senior staff in this way and your perspective is what colors your interpretation, I would live for that episode. If it, if it turns out that the senior staff are actually sterling officers, but the Lower Decks people don't quite see it because 
they only interact for a few seconds a day and it's never in like an affirming way. I, I think that would be a fun take. Like that'd be a great way to color the main characters to be like, you know, you've spent all your time thinking the captain's the jerk. Maybe you are also slightly the jerk. That yeah. Would- I, you know, I see where you're going with that. However, in the dialogue in this episode, you know, like the captain was making her own log and it was like through no contributions of anybody, but you know, it, so it was, eh. I, I, and I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. I'm saying, but I'm saying, like, I'm saying if it were, if you found out Boimler listened to the log and that's how he heard it, yeah, you could, you could live with that interpretation. So I think there's a lot of room to solve, like, I'm, here's the thing. I honestly think the show probably has some solution to this problem or some coloring or some comment on how dickish they've made the senior staff and i've never had that level of optimism about narrative completeness (laughs) in in any year of star trek starting with a two (laughs) well my ability to have that kind of optimism has been thoroughly crushed yeah um so i'm not there however if it is just nine more episodes of this that would be a definite cut above. Yeah, I, I don't know. There, there's something in me that thinks maybe they've made, maybe the dickishness is intentional or at least they caught it and then dial it back or resolve it in some way or clarify what the tension is. Like, I... Well, I no, you know that Kurtzman isn't looking at dailies and saying to McMahon, oh no, they're being too mean. You know he's not saying that because he's got a fucking serial killer as the captain of one show, you know, and he's got the guy like decapitating Romulan, you know, Toady and no, like Kurtzman is not going to be the voice of reason that dials things back in this show. It would have to be McMahon doing it on his own. And and maybe because of the way animation works, there's just less top-down control. yeah, I, I'll yeah. Like I they said, don't have a Rick Berman. They don't have a Rick Berman to say no. If I if I get nine more episodes of this, I will not be mad. I'll be mildly disappointed that it didn't get better than the pilot. But if it stays at the pilot level, I'm okay. You know what? Not bad, guys. Yeah, I would view it as an entertaining, but ultimately kind and of frivolous. A, conf- a confection. Yeah, like just a yeah. I think there is a lot of room for improvement. And I think the fact that they did such a good job of sketching out canonical Starfleet characters as their main cast pretty quickly and efficiently. Like, 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 and, and again, to go back to that scene of her staring out the window at the engines and getting all the feels, I'm like, what you've done in seconds, what other shows have struggled in weeks to make me feel about a character and her priorities and her feelings like you 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 painted a character in minutes that i understand and empathize with well done guys so yeah all right we've been going in circles so it is a solid slightly encouraging outing from lower decks yeah i think it's a six it's it's a three from both of us and I just want to be extra clear here. This is a clear-eyed three, not a me trying to, you know, like close my eyes and say, la, 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 I'm not listening into a four, which is what the previous uh, pilots have been. Um, I'm, I'm wise to their act now. I have no expectations. I have my rose-tinted glasses have been smashed into atoms, uh, you know, this is actually a three. It's actually pretty okay. I, I and it's it's a very a three for me. Like and surprise, it is closer to a four than I would have thought. I was never seriously considering a four, but w- there are one or two it, uh, of like half a dozen changes I could identify. If they made two of them, I might have given this the four. And that's a lot closer than I thought it'd be. I'm not my reflexive rating for basically the entire three season run of Kurtzman Trek has been a two. 
and that's because it's got serious, deep, grievous flaws that prohibit me from enjoying it. However, it looks okay, or there's a decent performance in it, or whatever. Like, the big flaw that I'm pointing out here is one that maybe you're right, because it's animation I'm willing to sort of live with, as opposed to, they're not swearing up and down that this is canon, and yet they're doing this fucking thing that is completely contradictory. You know, like, that's what drags me down to a two or a one every single time. Well, it, it also helps that because they put it a few years after Voyager, and to, for the moment, have not given any indication, even in the promo, that they will be encountering the Enterprise, or Voyager, or DS9, it's easier to kind of isolate this from canon because nothing they do is going to make the Star Trek universe break. Yeah. All right. Well, so I guess we will write this up and we'll do reviews for the rest of this mini journey. Um, I'm still not letting you watch Discovery with me. You, you're, you, you're done. You need to not watch Discovery just for your own health. Uh, it, but come on, it's quarantine. Like what? what am Which I means you should be spending your time not being angry. Is what I'm going to say. <laughs> but I'm already angry. Well, there's no need to make yourself angrier. I will watch Discovery for you and tell you if you should watch it. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> you know it's going to be garbage, right? Well, yeah, but then you don't need to watch it. Is what, thank you for proving my point. <laughs> and on that note, good night. Live long and prosper.